0: The Christian Church is an amazing institution. It, it brings together people from all walks of life. Uh, if you look around here, we're, we're all from different segments of the community. And it, it really saddens me when sometimes churches are built around a certain target age group or a certain target socioeconomic group. And if you're not part of that target group, then you feel like you don't belong. Now, Nobody will ever tell you that you're not welcome, but you just know that hey, I don't fit in and people don't try to make me fit in. Um, and my hope is that we'll always be very aware of this here in this church. Um, my hope and my dream is that we would be a place where if somebody new walks into church and if you first see them you think, oh, how on earth am I going to talk to this person? I mean, we've got nothing in common. I, well, I would challenge you to rethink that. Because if they are a Christian, they are a brother or a sister in Christ. And if they're not yet a Christian, well, they're the same as what you were before you were saved. Lost, um, filled with sin, but seeking a saviour. And so you've actually got a a lot in common with with whoever walks through that door, no no matter what segment of society they're from. You see, the Christian church should be a place where young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, simple and brilliant, athletes and plotters. I was thinking of you, Noreena, when you are saying, I thought, if only I could was allowed to run for an, for an extra five minutes. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I think that all the time. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> um, Whether you're a plotter or an athlete, whether you're a bushy or a townie, high society and lower classes, blacks, whites and every every colour in between, all come together on an equal footing. A couple of weeks ago... I mentioned that this letter to the Ephesians was revolutionary in its day and that was when we were talking on the topic of, of parents and children. And I said it was revolutionary because it was addressing the kids as if they were somebodies. Because in the Greco-Roman world, that part of the world in which this letter was written, kids were nobodies. They, they, you wouldn't address a kid unless you were giving them an order. But even more revolutionary than this, as we get further into this letter, We realise that at this church there's slaves and there's masters of of slaves in this very same church. And Paul is addressing them as equals. They are all sons and daughters of God. Not one is higher than the other in the church. And in their church, it doesn't matter what position you're looking at. You might be looking at appointing a minister or appointing an elder and it's got nothing to do with the person's social standing. It's got nothing to do with their wealth or their prosperity. It's got nothing to do with the colour of their skin. It's got nothing to do with their occupation. It's got nothing to do whether they're a businessman or whether they're a worker. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's got everything to do with the call of God and the gifts that God has given them. And so how God would then be using those gifts for them to serve him. You see, the spiritual gifts are the great leveller of the church. And so in the church, a slave, if that slave has been given by God a gift of teaching, in the church, that slave could be the teacher of the master. Can you imagine what that would be like coming to church on Sunday morning and you've got, got a bunch of slaves that you boss around all day and there's one of them on Sunday morning gets up to teach you. And also the master is the servant of the slave as the slave is the servant of the master because as disciples of Christ we serve each other and Jesus Christ showed us that. He was a, he is our master, right? And yet Jesus stripped down to his undies, that's what it means when it says he took off his outer garment, he stripped down to his undies, put a towel around his waist and started washing the feet of the disciples. And of course some of them realised what was happening here. Now, apparently that was the lowest of the low job. Even amongst slaves, there was a hierarchy in slaves and if you were the slave that, that had to wash the feet, you, like you were the bottom of the dung heap. Okay? And yet Jesus, our Master, took on the nature of a slave and he washed feet. And so we serve each other. Some people today really battle with certain pieces of scripture, including this one, because it talks about masters and slaves. And of course today most of us are repulsed with the very idea of slavery. The thought that somebody could own another person is, is absolutely abhorrent to us. Well, at least to most of us it is. But that's the world in which they lived. See, there was no social security then. There was no unemployment benefits. And if somebody found themselves in severe financial hardship, what they could do is they could sell themselves as a slave and that way at least they'd have food, they'd have a place to live and they would have work. So some of them sold themselves into, that, into slavery for that reason. But of course there were also those who were sl- enslaved against their will. Um, they'd been conquered through military conquest. And well the options then are, well we're going to kill every person here or we're going to take some of them back to our country as slaves. And so this was the world in which they lived. Slavery was quite common. In, in the reading I was doing, they, one place I read that Actually, about one-third of the people were free. One-third of the people were masters. And um, you know how you sort of think, oh, what can I save up to buy now? And and, and we're always saving up. Well, back then, you know what people saved up for? So they could buy themselves a slave. And then they could have a bit of time off. And two-thirds of the population were slaves. It was quite common was the world in which they lived and, and it wasn't until the 1800s, under the influence of Christians no less, people like William Wilberforce and, and John Newton, under their influence, finally slavery was outlawed in Britain and its colonies. Now let me be very clear, this passage does not promote slavery. And I'm, I think you know that. It, it was pretty simple. It, it's not promoting slavery. And anyone who says that it does is really up to mischief and misrepresenting what this passage says. What it does say is it's teaching us about sacrificial living and it's teaching us about submitting to one another in Christ. And here specifically it's speaking about submission in the workplace. And so, if you find that you are a slave, be a good slave. So that when your master sees your obedience and your work ethic, he'll have nothing left to do other than say, yep, well, his Christianity has actually been a good thing. He's a really good slave. Likewise, if you're a master of a slave, be a very good master. Treat your slaves well, because there's no favouritism with God. Now, if I was going to talk to you today about how we treat our slaves or how we as slaves were getting treated, you'd probably go, well, uh, I'm not sure this is really relevant for us. Um, So what I want to do today is I want to take this passage which was originally addressing the slave-master relationship and I want to apply it to our equivalent. I want to talk about the workplace. I want to talk about the employee-employer relationship. And I think that's pretty important for us. Because somewhere near half of our waking life is spent where? At work. Or for kids at school. Right? About half your waking life will be spent in the workplace. And so I think you'd think that if this is some of the biggest area of our lives, you'd think the Bible would have something to say about it, wouldn't you? And it does. And if we cut Christ out of this most enormous piece of our lives... Well, that decreases markedly the opportunities that we have to minister for Christ. We cannot compartmentalise our lives. We cannot just be all very good and spiritual on a Sunday when we go to church and then on Monday be the most slovenly employee or the most vicious boss that the world has ever seen. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are disciples of Jesus Christ on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We serve Jesus Christ every day of the week and in every place that we go. And so, do you think that we might be serving Christ in the workplace? Of course we should be. For about the last month now, we've we've been in this section of the letter to the Ephesians which has been teaching us about sacrificial living. And today, we're bringing this into the workplace. How do we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, practice sacrificial living in the workplace? And of course, what we do is is going to depend very much on our occupation. So, put put your hand up if you are in full-time Christian ministry. There's a couple of half-hearted hands going up. Yeah, a few more hands going up. Maybe you feel your job gets in in the way of your Christian ministry, but what we have to realise is our work, the place where God has put you to work now, the place that you'll go to on Monday to do your work, is your Christian ministry. Okay? Now, I want you to start to... I don't know if you've ever seen your workplace as your Christian ministry. But it is. And so if you're a shearer, be the best jolly shearer that you can be for Christ. If you're a boiler maker, be the best boiler maker that you can be for Christ. If you're a teacher or a nurse or a machinery operator or a rubbish collector, well, be the very best one of those that you can be for Christ. If you are a stay-at-home mum, be the very best stay-at-home mum that you can be for Christ. If you're a student and going to school or going to uni... Be the very best student that you can be for Christ. You see, you're not just going along to school and just being there because the teacher says be good. That's not the only reason you have to be good. You're going to go to school and work hard and do the very best that you can do at school and behave at school because this is your ministry. And when it gets to lunchtime, your ministry continues in that place where God has put you. So, Paul starts off by telling us to obey our bosses with fear and trembling. Now, some of you might have had a boss that caused you to obey him with fear and trembling, um, or maybe you haven't. But he then says, with a sincere heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, that was a pretty good example of it... uh, of today with the, with the kids story Neil and started out working while mum was there and then as soon as the boss heads off <coughs> off for a bit of a snooze good demonstration Neilan. obedience is something that a lot of us don't like to do because a lot of us like to do things our own way or when the boss tells us to do something we sort of don't want to do it at all because we want to be masters of our own domain. But obedience is something that God commands us. Um, remember, a, it was a few weeks ago now, we are talking about marriage. And we saw how God's system of governance, you know, in all levels of government, from from um, national governments to state governments to, to the smallest system of governance in, in, in the family, um... God's system of governance is he appoints some to be leaders and they are to be sacrificial in their leadership and he appoints others to to come under that leadership. And so we have loyalty. We have leadership and loyalty. You know what? It's the same in the workplace. Some have been entrusted with leadership. We can't all be the boss. Some are entrusted with leadership. And if you happen to be the boss, well that should be sacrificial leadership. You are leading in that company, not just for yourself, but for the good of all the employees as well. Some have been entrusted with leadership, but then some have to be loyal to that leadership. And if you're getting paid to do a job, well you're actually getting paid to do what the boss has asked you to do. And this might sound very old fashioned to you but to be obedient to your boss is exactly what God is commanding here and we are to do it with a sincere heart What does that mean Got a cartoon there What do you mean look busy the boss is coming I am the boss What it means is don't just be obedient when the boss is looking don't just be obedient um, to get into the boss's good books and, and then when the boss wanders off, go and do whatever sneaky things you want to do. Take a few biros home because, hey, the kid's needing a few more pens or, or have it slacken off a bit. Work as if you are a slave to Christ. Because guess what? That's exactly what you are. A slave to Christ. A management consultant died. And he turned up at the pearly gates. There must be some mistake, he said to St. Peter. You yeah, well, I'm only 54 and here I am, dead already. Now there must be some mistake, surely I was supposed to live much longer than this. And, and St. Peter replied, well, according to the times that you've been billing out to your clients, you have to be at least 87. When we're at work, we need to work with honesty and integrity we need to obey with a sincere heart we don't just do things that we know we're going to get away with because the boss isn't really watching we don't just pretend to be obedient when the boss is looking so that we can get into the good books we serve our bosses to the very best of our ability even when nobody's watching and that's what integrity is all about Integrity is who you are when no one's watching. Right? If you take nothing else home, take that home. Integrity is who you are when nobody else is watching. Paul uses the phrase, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Part of sacrificial living is to give of our best. Did you know it is the will of God for us to work? Did you know that? It's God's will for us to work. We sort of think that work is just something we have to do just until we don't have to work anymore. And that's just promoted more and more and more. You know, how often does somebody contact you and want to talk to you about your soup? And, you know, are you sure you're putting enough super away? Let's look at your plans for retirement. And um, it seems that today... You know, they're always getting pushed, think of your retirement, think of your retirement. And it seems that one of the highest goals in life is to reach reti- get to our retirement and be able to put together a nest egg so that we can retire as soon as we possibly can. Because we think work is this evil thing that's cluttering up my life and I've got to get rid of work so that I can retire and actually be and do exactly what I want to be and do. We want to work for as short a time as we possibly can so that we can retire as early as we possibly can and then, of course, we try to live for as long as we possibly can. And so if you retire at 65 and die at 105, now you might say to me, oh, who's, who dies at 105? I'll tell you what, the, the average age of death for men at the moment, I think is 86, something like that, pretty close to it. And as medical advancements keep going and we keep spending more and more bucks on health care and care of the aged and try to live longer, there's probably going to be a fair few of your peers who reach 105. So if you you quit work at 65, live to 105, that's 40 years you need to have stored up um, or be pulling on a pension. It's no wonder our country's going broke. It is the will of God that we should work. You know, I've often heard people preach on, you know, um, well, not often, but sometimes I've heard them preach on, uh, on the seventh day you shall rest. I haven't heard too many sermons on, for six days you shall work. Um, We need to work. It is God's plan for us to work. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be workaholics, and some of us may be workaholics, and that's no good either. It doesn't mean that we never take a rest. It doesn't mean we never take a holiday. But there is something godly about working. Never be ashamed that you work. Never be ashamed that you can't afford to retire. Never be ashamed if your job, in your mind, is a lower job. Never be ashamed if you're a labourer. Don't be ashamed if you're just the bottom of a very large tree. There is something very godly about working. It is God's command that we should work. And when you work, it doesn't matter what job you're in. Or maybe if you're a gangster, you might want to think about changing careers. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what job you're in, where you, where you work, that can be your place of ministry. That is your place of ministry. That's the place that God has put you. And we are rendering service, not to man, but to God. Yeah, you might think that I go to work so I can earn money so that I can pay the mortgage. I want you to start thinking, I go to work to serve God because that's what this scripture is saying. So when you turn up for work on a Monday morning, don't go, another week. Man, don't do it grudgingly. Do it with a good will to please the Lord. But why should we do that? What's in it for us? When all of the other employees there at work are slacking off and it appears that they're getting rewarded for their slackness because they're masters at being able to look busy when the boss is around, they're masters at being able to hide all their mistakes and promote all of their, all of their successes and they seem to be getting ahead and getting ahead even though they slack off. What's in it for us to work hard when nobody's watching? Sometimes, as a Christian, you might find yourself in a very difficult situation because your productivity might might be higher than your workmates. And so they might be telling you, slow down, slow down. The boss isn't here. It's not like they're watching you. It's not like you're getting paid per per work unit that you get done. You're getting paid by the hour. Why wouldn't you just slow down? But you keep pressing on. Now, you might get a bad rep amongst the other employees because of that. Or you might get told, hey, that's not our culture here. You've got to fit in, fella. Yeah you know, you've got to fit in. Yeah it, what we do is we do extend our smoke breaks. That's that's just what we all consider normal here. What do you do? You do what your boss has told you to do. And if your work conditions say okay is for 15 minutes. Well 15 minutes is the length of smoke At The end of 15 minutes you get back to work even if your workmates don't but why would you do that when there's no reward the boss doesn't know about verse 8 says knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bond servant that means a slave or is free right on the day of judgment we're going to be rewarded for the good things that we've done and that includes the good that you've done in the workplace That includes being a good employee. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered that. That by working hard as an employee, you might think that the boss never sees it. There's no reward in this. But the big boss does see it. Okay? The Lord your God, the big boss, your boss's boss, he sees it and he knows about it and you'll be rewarded for being a good employee. Now, we've, we've given all the employees the pep talk, now we're up to the bosses. Uh, and this is where this passage gets really revolutionary. We bosses tend to think, hey, I don't know why I counted myself as a boss, I've been a boss at times, so I don't think I'm really a boss now, uh, but, but there's times that we think, yep, everything gets done my way, exactly how I want it, and that's how I like it. Now, what it says here is masters do the same to them, meaning to the slaves. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that the slaves are just being told to obey their masters. This doesn't mean that that masters have to obey the slaves. That would be a bit back to front in this leadership loyalty thing that's going on here. What it means is as a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether you are a master or whether you are a slave, whether you are an employer or whether you are an employee, we are to serve in that capacity that where God has put us, sacrificially. Right? We've been talking about sacrificial service as a slave or as an employee. And it is sacrificial to, of the employee. It's going to mean that you're going to work harder. You're going to keep knuckling down even when the boss isn't watching. Even when there's no reward. That's the sacrificial part. You will be obeying the boss. But here we find that employers, the bosses, have to do the same. Employers lead sacrificially. Now, this is revolutionary. This is something that will cost you as a boss. Lead for the benefit of your employees not simply for your own gain. Now, what does that look like? Well, Paul is very practical here. While he only gives us one example, I I think you'll agree with me that it actually says a lot. He's talking to, to, to masters of slaves and he says to them, Masters, do the same to them, meaning the slaves, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Employers, God is very interested in how you treat your employees. Deuteronomy chapter 24 is a word to to bosses. It says, Do not take advantage of the hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite Or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset. Because he is poor and he is counting on it. Otherwise he may cry out to the Lord against you. And you will be guilty of sin. I can tell you that there's probably been a lot of bosses in the world through history. Who have done... Done it pretty tough against their employees. And when their employees cry out to the Lord their God against their bosses, it's counted as sin. It's counted as the boss's sin. Employers. I wonder if you've ever considered that as an employer, this is your ministry. It's your ministry as an employer. Your Christian ministry is to provide for your employees. Men and women need jobs. Our country needs bosses who make jobs for their employees. And if God has blessed you with a business, well I think we can it's pretty safe to say that's not so that you can sack half your staff and drive the other half twice as hard so that you can make a bigger profit just as Christian employees are serving Christ in their work Christian employers are serving Christ in the provision of employment Now you may feel that you're the master and that the buck stops with you you are not you and your staff both have one master the Lord your God and he's in heaven and he sees everything sacrificial living is not something that the Christian employer is exempt from yep you might feel that you have the right as an employer to dish it out to your staff you do not have that right you treat your employees in the same way yeah, I've heard it said, and you probably have too, never expect your employees to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. You've heard that said? I reckon that's pretty good advice. When a boss goes out in the hot sun to Chip Bathurst Burr with a labourer, that's sacrificial leadership. When the boss takes his turn at a nighttime water shift so that his tiring workers can have a rest, that's sacrificial leadership. When the boss says, look, I'll work this Christmas so you can go away with your family. That's sacrificial leadership. When the seasons turn bad and the boss is the one who cuts his spending, when the boss is the one who pulls in his belt so that his employees can keep their jobs, that's sacrificial leadership in the workplace. Bosses... Don't threaten your employees. Don't abuse them. Don't take advantage of them. Because God is our master and simply because you're the employer, that doesn't mean that you're going to get any special treatment. Now, I reckon there's a pretty big challenge here for all of us. Whether you are an employer or whether you are an employee, there's an enormous challenge here. Um, If you're an employee, work as hard as you can. Keep working as if you're working for Christ, even if your boss is the biggest mongrel around. Now that can be a challenge, hey? Even if your boss is the biggest mongrel around, you work obeying him because you're working for Christ. And if you're an employer, treat your workers as you would want to be treated yourself. That's probably the easiest way to sum it up. See, that's probably a good way to sum it up for, for employees as well. You work for your boss as you would expect your employees to work for you, if you had employees. The way we work and the way we treat our workers, this is our Christian witness in the workplace. Okay. You're going to be, you only come to church for an hour, two hours a week. And you might be at work for somewhere between 40 and 20 and 60 hours a week, depending on your job. People are going to see far more of you at work than they are at church. At work, it's not our right to take most of the day off um, on the boss's time to uh, try and evangelise every, every Tom, Dick and Harry at, at, at work. That's not our right to do that. Sometimes, occasionally, God might put it on your heart that hey, you've actually got to take a bit of time out of work right now to, to share the Gospel with someone. But it's not right for us to take all day on the boss's time to do that. However, it is right to be a visual display, to be a living, breathing, working example of a slave of Jesus Christ.